you're able, would you remain standing? And in your Bibles, would you turn to Ephesians chapter 5? Ephesians chapter, Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to start reading at verse 15, and we're going to read through verse 21. So this is the word of our Lord. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore do not be unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is, and do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. This is the word of our Lord. Let us pray together. Father in heaven, we pray that you would enable us to see great things concerning you, in this passage, for asking Jesus' name, Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> Paul continues in this uh, passage that we read today on the theme of Christian, uh, the Christian faith, the Christian life as a walk. We already saw in verses one through seven that walk that the Christian is called to walk in love toward one another. In verses 8 through 14, that the Christian is called to walk as children of light towards the world. And when we get here now to verses 15 through 21, we see that the Christian is called to walk in wisdom in relation to one another and to the world. We already considered the first uh, two sections of walking, walking in love and walking as children of light. And this morning... And at least for the next two Sundays after today, we're going to be considering this passage on walking in wisdom towards, uh, in our relationship to one another and also in our relationship towards the, the world. Yeah, in our King, New King James passage uh, version says in verse 15 that we are to walk circumspectly. Circumspectly is a word that we don't use very often in common language and just means to walk carefully. And uh, we can see in the context that Paul means by that, that we are to walk in wisdom. And the idea is that the Christian is to walk thoughtfully, that the Christian is to walk carefully, that the Christian is to walk purposefully, and that the Christian life is not a wonder around the earth. It is a purposefully, purposefully, thoughtfully, careful walk towards the end that God calls us to, to fulfill. I want to start by just looking at the passage as a whole and see how the things fit together. And then we're going to focus on verses 15, 16, and 17, where there the apostle gives us two characteristics of walking carefully, or walking wisdom, or walking circumspectly. So let's see first how the whole passage works together. And the thing we have to keep in mind is that the expression, walk circumspectly, is the controlling thought throughout this passage. All the way from 15 to 21, what Paul is describing here is how a Christian walks carefully, how a Christian walks in wisdom. And this walk is described by several participles and several verbs. If you look at verse 16, 
We are told that this Christian walk, this walk in wisdom, is done by redeeming the time. We're going to take a look at that in just a moment. And in verse 17, it says that this walk in wisdom is done by not being unwise. And Paul uses a double negative here. He likes double negatives. And he likes stating the obvious. So in that way, he is my hero. As much as Peter is also my hero for just blurring out things uh, you know, when the opportunity is there. But he says, how, Paul says, let me tell you how you walk in wisdom. You walk in wisdom by not walking unwisely. Pretty straightforward. And, and, but he tells us that there in verse 17. But he also says in verse 17, a third way that you walk in wisdom is by understanding the will of the Lord. And then in verse 18, it says that we walk in wisdom by not being drunk. And instead of being drunk, the fifth way that we walk in wisdom is by being filled with the Spirit. And notice that that's a command to be filled. It's not something that happens by accident. It's something that we are purposefully to pursue. And it's an objective thing because verses 19 through 21 describe how one can be filled with the Spirit. And all these ING words that you find in verses 19 through 21 are describing the way that you are filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another, singing and making melody, giving thanks, submitting to one another are ways that you're filled with the Spirit. If you have ESV or NIV, you're going to find, see that the editors there bunched verse 21 with the following passage instead of the passage that we just read, I think grammatically verse 21 is actually part of what we're reading here and is a definition or an element of being filled with the Spirit is willingness to submit to one another. And all these things then describe the way that a Christian walk carefully in wisdom. That's what Christians do. They do these things as they walk carefully in wisdom. And also notice how Paul changes the, Paul is always using these pairs to, contra, to, to contrast and compare. In, in verses 1 through 7 is love and hate, hatred. In verses 8 through 14 is light and darkness. And now in verses 15 through 21, he compares wisdom with folly. And, and that's what we are to, to do, is to walk in wisdom here. And we see that this is all connected by the therefore in verse uh, 15, or the word then there in verse 15. We then, because these things are true of us, we've been brought out of darkness, we are light, we walk in love, then we walk circumspectly, that is, we walk in wisdom. And even as before we proceed, we need to figure out what wisdom is. And wisdom is simply applying what you know about the Scriptures to daily life. Wisdom is getting what you've read in the Bible, and then living that out in daily lives. He's getting the principles of the Bible and then living them out. That's simply, simply that. And that's a very important characteristic of the Christian life, to be able to do that, to grab what's in the Bible and then live, live it out there. And the two characteristics of, the, of wise walking for today are found in verse 15, 16, and 17. That's the idea of redeeming the time and knowing the will of God. Look at verses 15 and 16. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. 
what I'm going to say here may be contrary to what you've heard before, or what you've thought before about this passage. But when Paul here says to redeem the time, this is not so much an exhortation to be productive or efficient as it is an exhortation to take advantage of different opportunities that present that God brings to you, different opportunities that present themselves in your life, the things that God bring, brings for you to do, more than, oh, live every minute to the best or the fullest. That's not what Paul is talking about here. The New Testament uses two words for time. In, in the original language. One is chronos, and in, in chronos you can hear some uh, English words in that, and the other one is, is kairos. The word chronos refers generally to the flow of time. It is concerned with the idea of one event following another. Chronos speaks of minutes and days and hours and months and years. The concept of chronos is well represented in the English word chronology. If you think of chronology, what do you think? You think of uh, a list of events ordered by the time that they, they happened. Kairos, the other word used in the New Testament, refers to a, a moment that is significant or favorable. An opportunity, a season. Not so much emphasizing when it happened, but that that opportunity was there. We've often used, we, always use it, we all have used the expression, remember that time? Right? We're not talking about you know, 3.55 p.m. We're talking about a particular opportunity or an event that happened in our lives. Or remember when, uh, which uh, kind of reminds me of Chris Farley, on SNL skit. Um, some of you know what I'm talking about. Those that don't, doesn't matter. It's not that important. <laughs> so forget about that. <laughs> Kairos is the word used by Paul here in verse 16, translated by English word time. Not chronos, but kairos. So, so Paul's not talking about using every minute for, to the best you can, but he's talking about the opportunities, the events that God brings into your life. We should think of it more in terms of an opportunity or a season for a particular purpose than in time, than time measured in minutes and hours. Now, the Bible does talk about our being efficient, the Bible does say that a Christian must be productive. For example, in Psalm 90, verse 12, the psalmist prays that the Lord will help us number our days. And that's the idea of being able to use the time for uh, its fullness. But it doesn't necessarily do that here in Ephesians 5, 16. That's not what the apostle is teaching us here. Oh, yes, we are to be diligent, we are to be productive, we are to be efficient, but not because of Ephesians 5, 16. Because of other passages in the Bible. And then, you know, the, the apostle says that we are to walk circumspectly, redeeming the time. That word redeem can mean to buy back, but here it carries the meaning of making the most of it. Making the most of the opportunities that God has given you. Charles Hodge renders the, the first half of verse 16 as availing yourselves of the occasion. Avail yourselves of the occasions that God has brought into your life. And he means by that, that the Christian must improve every opportunity for good. Every opportunity that God brings in our lives. Uh, the ESV does a good job expressing the meaning of this, uh, of this idea when it says, making the best use of time. Making the best use of the opportunities that God has given 
to us. Now, Paul is not explicit about what opportunities he's talking about here in, Col- in Ephesians chapter 5, but in Colossians 4, verses 4 and 5, he is very explicit. So I'd love for you to keep your finger there in Ephesians 5 and turn to Colossians chapter 4 for a second and look at verses 5 and 6, where here Paul describes explicitly or clearly what the opportunity is, what, how is it that we're to redeem the time. In Colossians five verses, Colossians four verses five and six, it says, "Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time." So here again, walk in wisdom. Exactly what Ephesians five says, redeeming the time. Exactly what Ephesians five says. But he adds this: walk in wisdom toward those who are outside. Verse six: Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt that you may know how you ought to answer each one. So here Paul tells us what those opportunities are. Those opportunities are our interaction with the unbeliever, with those that are outside. And Paul commands us, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, to make the most of those opportunities. That's when the redeeming the time comes into play here. So... Having seen these two things together, these two passages together, I conclude that what Paul is talking about here is that we're to redeem our time in the area of evangelism. We are to make the most of the opportunities that God has given us for us to shine the light of Jesus Christ upon the darkness of this world so that people can come to know Jesus Christ and be transformed by Him. So we walk carefully in wisdom by making the most of the opportunities God brings our way to share the gospel with unbelievers. Uh, walking wisely toward outsiders includes speaking to them in a certain way, the right way. If you look again at Colossians 4, verses 5 and 6, Paul emphasizes the speech that we are to redeem the time by saying certain things and saying certain things in a certain way. And I've mentioned this before, but we've heard, you've heard, uh, I'm, I'm sure that all of you have heard the, 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 the saying attributed to Francis of Assisi, uh, which says, Preach the gospel at all times when necessary, you use words. Uh, at one point, Aaron Rodgers used that to criticize uh, Tim Tebow uh, in, in, in NFL. And that sounds so pious, sounds so humble, but it is as foolish as a statement can be. That you can somehow proclaim the gospel without using words. That cannot happen. That's the excuse of a person who's too afraid of sharing the gospel with somebody else. Do you get that? People are not going to come to know Jesus by staring at you. If you are an average Christian, it might actually do the opposite, right? <laughs> Unless you say something, they might not be able to not be driven to Christ. The gospel is a series of propositions. Now, a proposition is not just something that you vote on the ballot. The proposition is a statement of fact. That's what the gospel... And the gospel is a series of propositions that must be communicated by the use of language. So if we want to redeem the time, if you want to make the most of the opportunities that God brings our way, as Paul talks about in Ephesians 5 and Colossians 4, we must be able to articulate and speak the gospel. When Paul speaks to the Corinthians, and he says, 
I've given to you what's of first importance, and I've given to you the gospel, he doesn't then list a, a, a series of things that he did for them to see. He lists a, thing, a series of things that he told them. He says that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve, and followed, and so on. And you might say, but, but Pastor, I don't know how to speak, say the Gospel to people. If you don't know what the Gospel is, then you're not a Christian. It's as plain as that. If you cannot formulate as simply as Paul did, that Christ died for our sins, then you're not a Christian. So your problem is not so much that you're not redeeming the time. The, your biggest problem is that you're going to hell for, to forever suffer the wrath of God. You must know the gospel. And the gospel is this. Jesus Christ, the perfect Son of God, took flesh, became a human like you and I. And obeyed God perfectly, the thing that you and I cannot do. And upon completing his perfect life, he died a death that a sinner deserved. The death that you and I deserved. And that our Father, the Father in heaven, accepted that sacrifice by raising him from the dead. And now he sits at the right hand of the Father. If you don't believe that Jesus did that for you, you're condemned to hell. But today is a day of salvation. God has sent His Son to die for sinners, sinners such as yourself. And if you don't believe in Him, come to faith even today. And then you're going to be able to redeem your time. Christians should exhibit in all their speech a gracious and attractive tone, including our witnessing. That is, our speech is to be always with grace, as Paul says in Colossians 4. As we come, as we make the most of every opportunity, and we speak to people about the gospel of Jesus Christ, our speech is filled with grace. All our communication with the outside must be with grace. Do you get that? And that includes how we talk about those that are outside, and how we talk with those that are outside of the church, the unbeliever. And there's no exemption. There's no political exemption. God does, doesn't say, let your speech, as you redeem the time, let your speech be filled with grace, except for uncontested election time. Then you can just let it all out and really destroy those that are around you with your words. Or, you know, yes, you, you need to have your uh, speech filled with grace, unless people disagree with you philosophically. Then you need to destroy them with your words. Or, unless they are wicked, then you have to destroy them. The problem is, people of God, we are we were all wicked in the sight of God apart from Jesus Christ. And it was by, by His grace that we've been transformed to be saints of God. Let me ask you, who is the, per, who is the unbeliever going to come and talk about Christ? To the one who destroyed and attacked them with their words in an ungracious way? Or to the one who has been long-suffering and gracious towards, towards them? And, and this is true because all who are outside, we, we have this attitude of being filled with grace because all who are outside are, are the object of our evangelism. There's nobody outside of Jesus Christ that we don't want to come to faith in Jesus Christ. That has to be attitude. doesn't matter 
who he or she is. We want them to come to know Jesus Christ and to be redeemed so that their souls will be spared and forever they will live with the Lord. Does that make sense to you? And because of that, we can't discredit the gospel by the way we talk to them or about them. Have you ever done that? You discredit the gospel by the way that your speech, my speech is ungracious. And sometimes Christians think that they are to speak in a holy, godly way while they are around other Christians. And that it's okay to speak like the world when they are not around other Christians. Paul says that that cannot be so. If we're going to redeem the time, if we're going to make the most of every opportunity, our speech is going to be full of grace. And the Christian speech must be winsome and attractive. And that's what Paul means in Colossians 4, seasoned by seasoned with salt. Salt was used for preservation and for taste. And this is the idea that Paul is bringing here. To get our words must be tasty, seasoned with salt, well thought out, understandable, winsome, attractive. Have you ever uh, come to, you know, go to somebody's home or to a restaurant and a meal is put before you and everything about the food looks like it's a savory dish? And, you know, so expect certain flavors to be there and so on. And you take a bite and it's a dessert and it's sweet. It, it, what's your impression? No. You try the most to be polite and to swallow it and to not make any faces to your guest. But you go, oh, that's not what I'm expecting. That's what a Christian does when his speech, her speech is not seasoned with salt. We leave that bad taste in people's mouth. Now, it is important that we are not trying to make the gospel attractive. The gospel is the story of the beautiful Savior. So we don't need to make it more attractive. And we can't make it more attractive. But it does mean that we present the Savior in all His attractiveness. It also does not mean that we try to make the gospel more palatable to our culture. Just that we don't add the wrong seasoning to it. We let Christ shine as we present the gospel. And that's how we take advantage. We, we redeem the time by taking advantage of every opportunity that God brings to us to proclaim the gospel. In walking in wisdom with gracious and winsome speech, we result in our being able to respond to the questions the outsiders have. Look what he says there in Colossians 4, 6. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Paul's presupposition here is that unbelievers will be raising questions about the faith of the Colossian Christians. Paul's presupposition is that the unbeliever is going to look at you and have questions about the way you live, have questions about the way you speak. Who are these people? Why is it that they act and talk so differently than the rest of us? Why is it that they are so able to rejoice and love even in the midst of severe persecution and mistreatment? Who are these people? Paul says that's a natural thing that should happen in your life if you are really redeeming the time, if you're taking advantage of every opportunity that God brings to your life. Is that the effect that you're having in the world? Are people around you asking you, why you're so different? Or if they find out that you're a Christian, do they wonder, huh, I could have never guessed that. Where are you with, with that? And the answer is simple. Who are these people? 
Paul gives us that in Ephesians 5.8. These are the people who were in darkness, who were darkness themselves, but God, by His grace, through the Lord Jesus Christ, has transformed them into light. And that's why they're different, because the sheer grace of God in their lives, applying the work of Christ to, to them. And this is really the scriptural assumption for every Christian. People will want to know why we are who we are. That's it. People are going to want to know. And those are the opportunities that God brings to you. Remember what Peter says? That everyone is supposed to be ready to do what? To give a reason for the hope that lies within him, within you, in meekness and in fear. Your obedience to Christ, as demonstrated in your attitude, in your actions and speech, should cause people to wonder about you. And you need to be, we need to be always ready. We need to know what you believe. Teenagers, younger people, it's not enough for you to just assume your parents' faith. You need to believe in that. You need to know what is it that you believe. Are you able to formulate your confession of faith? Do you know what is it that you believe? You need to be ready to defend that, to give a defense, explain what you believe in such a way that answers the accusations that are being brought against Christ. Are you able to say, I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he's going to keep me unto that day, the day of his return. You don't have to be a theologian, you don't have to write books, but do you know that Christ died for your sins? If you don't know that, you're in a very dark and hard place. This faith is not just for your parents. This faith is for you. And God has been merciful to you and put you in a church, in a family that believes in Jesus Christ. Don't squander the mercy of God in doing this. And we're to give a reason for the hope that lies within you, the effect that the life, the cross, the resurrection, the ascension, and the coming again of Jesus Christ has had upon you. And Paul and Peter agree on this, that we are to take advantage of every opportunity that God's brought to us in order to do that. And what is our motivation? Turn back to Ephesians chapter 5. And by the way, so that you don't, you don't freak out, there is one more point, but the last point is very short. So don't worry about it. They're not symmetric. Uh, turn back to Ephesians chapter 5. What is the motivation that Paul gives us to make the most of, of the time, to redeem the time? Look at verse 16 again. Redeeming the time. Why? Because the days are evil. The motivation that Paul provides is that the days are evil. The days we live in are a reflection of the reality of the fall. They are wicked. They are immoral. And because of that, they are moving toward judgment. Do you get that? Every day we're moving closer to the judgment of God. And we don't know how much time... There is left. And by saying this, Paul adds a sense of urgency to us. The unbeliever next to us may not live to tomorrow. My parents may not live to tomorrow. Your brother, your sister may not live to tomorrow. Your children may not live to tomorrow. Tim Hart, a month ago, was sitting with us in Presbytery, talking, debating the issues of the church, and now he's in the glory of heaven. 
we don't know how much time is left. And every moment is moving towards judgment. We must take opportunity, take advantage of every opportunity. We must redeem the time by considering the unbelievers in our lives. We all have unbelievers in our lives. We have children, parents, siblings, co-workers, um, uh, schoolmates, whatever. What opportunities have God given us to speak grace into their lives? Are we redeeming the time? We, we often say, oh, but God hasn't opened the door. But what, usually what that means is that God just slammed the door open and we ran after the door, grabbed the handle and shut it closed and said, no, God is not opening the door. That's not the case, people of God. The world is dying. It's not going to be Trump or Biden that's going to rescue that world. Doesn't, Tuesday does not matter. We have a reigning king and he appointed us to bring the gospel of salvation to the nations. And the nation starts with that unbeliever next to us. Is that person going to go to hell because we did not share the gospel with them? I am Calvinist. I am reformed. I believe in the sovereignty of God. And I believe that sovereign God uses you, uses me to persuade that person. Spurgeon used to say, as a believer, you must stand between the unbeliever and hell. And doing whatever you can, putting your hands upon their chest, saying, do not fall into abyss. Are we taking up the advantage of that, those opportunities, people of God, to redeem the time? The opportunities that God has brought to us to do that. Is your brother, is your sister, are your parents, are your children, are you, is your co-worker, is your fellow schoolmate going to go to hell because you thought that was too inconvenient, too shameful, too awkward to speak the gospel to them? Is that going to be upon you? God calls us to redeem the time. That's how we walk wisely, by redeeming the time. But not only that, but also we walk carefully and in wisdom by understanding the will of God. Look at verse 17. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. We sometimes make things about the will of God super complicated, don't we? We, we, we tend to think, oh, we need to, I need to have this mystical abstract experience that tells me exactly what the will of God is for me. We tend to think of the will of God as a bullseye and the expressions even used to be at the center of God's will. God's will is not a bullseye. We don't, it's not like, oh man, I got over here so I only got 10 points of God's will instead of 100 points. That's not, the, God's will is more like a park. A large, very large park. And the Borders of that park is the word of God. And anywhere you are in that park, you are in the will of God. So whether to marry Christian A or to marry Christian B, both of them are in the will of God. Not at the same time. You have to choose between one or the other. But that's, you don't have to be waiting for the bird to, to land on the tree to, as a sign for you. God's will is simply to know the principles of His word and then apply those for the unique, unique uh, situations in your own life. N knowing the will of God is not this mystical exercise. It is not, knowing the principles of His Word and allowing those principles to guide 
us in everyday life. In this case here in Ephesians chapter 5, this is primarily related to making the most of the opportunity the Lord has given to us to share the gospel with unbelievers around you. That's the context that Paul says, therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Paul is telling you that the will of God for you, you know, we're always trying to find what the will of God is, the will of God for you right now is share your faith with unbelievers. Redeem the time. You make the most of every opportunity. So you don't look, don't need to look for an eight ball, a magic eight ball to find out what the will of God is. You don't need a crystal ball. You don't need uh, uh, destiny cards. If you go to Bethel Church in, in, in Reading, they read your destiny cards to figure out what your future is. You don't need a fleece. You don't need to cast lots. I'm telling you right now, the will of God for you is that you share the gospel with a dying world. For every one of you who could proclaim to claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ, we are to be wise in exposing and rebuking the darkness of behaviors and ideas, while at the same time persuading people to believe in Jesus with speech that is seasoned with grace. We're called to that. Exposing darkness in the way that Paul means here. Not in the way that somebody like the Westboro Baptist Church would do that would destroy the person in the process. One of the purposes for us to expose darkness is so that the people can come out of darkness and into the kingdom of God's dear Son. So we make the most of every opportunity to share the gospel of salvation with unbelievers as we walk carefully in wisdom because we know that that is the will of God for us. So let me ask you this. Are you going to walk in wisdom? Are you going to make the most of the opportunities that God's given to you to proclaim the gospel to a dying world, starting with those unbelievers in your life that we all have? That is the will of God for you. That's what Paul says in God's word. Let us pray together. Father in heaven, we pray that you would indeed convict all of us from the truths of your word and give us the grace to follow you faithfully in all that you command us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.